You know, the Lord is always near, but a lot of times we don't hear Him, we don't see Him, because the eyes of our hearts may be cloudy, they may be closed, and we just sang about, Lord, just be, be near us, let us be in Your presence, let us find You. And I think that's the cry of our heart every morning when we wake up because we can start the day and we can be focused on all sorts of tasks. How many of you do that? The moment you have your eyes open, you're thinking about what you have to get done today. And that's not the case of my wife. It takes her an hour to wake up. I don't know what her brain is doing, but I just see her just like fighting, trying to get up. I don't know, but when, well, I want to get going. I just want to get going. And I have to remember, Lord, this is your day that you have made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it, and I need to, to focus on Him. And when I start to focus on Him, and when you begin to focus on Him, the eyes of your heart suddenly becomes open, and suddenly you're starting to see the presence of God, because the presence of God is everywhere. It's just that our trouble is we don't always feel Him, or see Him, or taste Him, or touch Him, because we're too busy and distracted by the things of this world. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question, and it's a profound question. How does one grow as a Christian? How do you have spiritual formation in your heart? We know how babies grow, right? Feed them a bottle, and boy, they just go. You know, you know how to feed your plants, your trees? You know how to grow a business, I bet. I bet you know how physical things grow. You know how to grow a dog, don't you, Mitchell? You feed that puppy, and that puppy becomes what? It becomes a big dog, right? Well, Paul, out of his joy, is going to pray for the Philippians. Remember, we've talked, Paul is, is saying, every time the Lord brings you across my mind, I rejoice and I pray for you. I'm excited to pray for you. It fills my heart to pray for you. But then he's going to launch into the exact prayer. And so you have your Bibles. I hope you do. If you have them on a tablet or a smartphone, that's awesome too. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick this apart. It's in your bulletin, phrase by phrase again. And in verse 9, you know, he's going to start off, and this is my prayer for you. And we'll just read, really, the whole text, and then we'll come back to verse 9. And it is my prayer, so this is what he's praying for, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But let's go back to, to that very first part, and Heather, we're just going to go ahead and throw that first slide up. The very first little blank for that, a life that wants to have spiritual formation is a life that has to have a foundation of God's love. Go back to the text. Look what it says. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The greatest single foundation of spiritual formation or spiritual life is love. Now, we know the Bible talks a lot about love, Right? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Jesus talks about love. Paul talks about love. 
Yeah, John talks about love. Love, love, love. And the single most important foundation for your Christian growth, so you don't remain a baby, but for you to grow into manhood or womanhood and really embrace who you are in Jesus, you have to have this overwhelming foundation of love. Paul is asking God for their love to abound. So the source of this love is outside of themselves. It comes from God. Paul and Jesus will say, you got to love one another, but that love comes from God. In fact, it says in 1 John 4, 9, that we have the capacity to love because he gave it to us first. Catch this then. God's love, and we're going to contrast worldly love or fleshly love or human love versus God love. We'll just call it that, God love. God love is supernatural because it comes from Him. God love is supernatural. We love because He loved us first. Let's talk about, there's lots of uh, human love, right? There's junior high love. Weren't you in love in junior high? John, were you in love when you were in junior high? Yeah, you were in love in junior high. Love sometimes is built on lust, desire, attraction, A self-motivated love. I love you, or I'm going to be loving to you, so you'll be loving back to me. It's a business arrangement. It's it's reciprocal. Human love is fickle, high maintenance, and you all said amen. Amen. Emotionally driven, you make me feel good kind of love. There's puppy love, love, right? Right? Lust that gets confused for love. There's immature love. There's sexual love. There's love that's just an emotional attraction. There's family love. There's friendship love. There's a controlling, manipulative, perverted kind of love. But Paul is not saying that's what the love is supposed to abound. He says, I'm asking God to give you more and more abounding God love. And we're going to find out that word is agape. And you've heard of this word agape before, but we'll get to that in a moment. But this love is supernatural love. It's heavenly love. It's not earthly or fleshly love. Now this word abounding, it's a pretty cool word. It means to overflow. So when he says, my prayer is that your love may abound, may overflow, wave upon wave, it it actually means that all this energy comes together and pours out on something. That's what it actually means in the original language. So I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. Have you been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. A few people have been, man, that is impressive. All that water just pouring over. And it's non-stop. You just can't imagine the, the tonnage, the weight, the water, the volume, the gallons. They're just pouring over and over and over. That's what this word means. I pray to God that your love may be Niagara Falls and not the Rio Grande. <laughs> right? You've seen the Rio Grande. Sometimes, because it's not always flowing, is it? Paul's not saying, I'm going to ask God to increase your love. He says, I want it to abound more and more. Now, they already have some of this supernatural God love. But 
he doesn't want them to be satisfied with that amount. He's asking God to grow it. Imagine you have a five-year-old boy and you take him to Disneyland. Now, you might have not all been to Disneyland, but you've kind of got an idea. And to go into the park, you, you go down Main Street. And down Main Street, they have parades, they've got shops, they've got ice cream parlors, they've got candy shops, they almost have like a Starbucks kind of coffee shop. They've got the general store, they've got all these cool things on, on Main Street. Could you imagine your five-year-old who you're taking to Disneyland he gets to the end of Main Street and says, I want to go home now. I've seen it all. And what do you tell the child? There's so much more. We haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't hit the tip of the iceberg. You're going to... That's what Paul's saying. He says, the love that you have in your church, the love that you have in your small group, the love that you have that is permeating the Philippian church, you're only scratching the surface of the love that I'm praying God to pour out on you. More and more and more and more love. Wave upon wave upon wave of love. So it's not a question about getting love. It's a question of God multiplying it multiplying it beloved john writes let us love one another for love is from what god love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god and anyone who does not know god uh, i'm sorry anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love in this love in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Or a little later, going back to, to actual the book of John, Jesus, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus qualifies it. He says, my kind of love, my quality of love, my supernatural love, my heavenly love, my agape love. And he's referring to the highest and most noblest kind of love, a God love. And this, this love is a love of the will. I choose to love you unconditionally, not based on your performance or what I get out of the deal or how beautiful you are, it's not an impulse, it's not a hormone, it's not an emotional attraction, it's not selfish. This is the purest kind of love there is. It's the most noblest kind there is. It is a love for a person that will always choose to do right by the other person, in spite of how they feel, or how you feel, or how they treat you. It decides, it's, it's, a, it's almost a love of the mind. I choose to do right to you. That's love. That's real love. And it was that agape love that drove Jesus to the cross. While we were still enemies, Jesus came. God sent his son that whosoever believeth. Why? Because God so loved the world. It's that word agape. It's not the word lust. It's not the word uh, family love, which is storge love in the Greek. It's not the word eros, which is for erotic love. It's none of that. I will love you whether you're my friend or my enemy. I will love you whether you do good to me or bad to me. I will love you, therefore there are no strings attached. That, 
That's a supernatural love. It's the love that chooses to love the unlovable, the unlovely, and the hurtful. Do you see why it has to be a supernatural love? You try to do it in your own, in your own strength. You, you can't love your enemy. You can't love the one that slit your tire. You can't love the one that scratched your car. You can't love the one that killed your dog. Uh, we have a friend who, whose dog was killed by their neighbor. And he struggled to love his neighbor. And he had to go, I need supernatural love to be able to love my neighbor who killed my dog. A good story. The story ends up where this family across the street comes to know Jesus and they join this guy's church and they become best friends. That doesn't happen with human love. That only happens with the power of agape love. It's supernatural. How else can you love your enemies? It has to be the love of God flowing through you. Fleshly love has no power to love those who hurt you, take from you, betray you. I like to say it this way, loving your enemies isn't for cowards, is it? <laughs> you have to summon this heavenly love in order to do it. Lord, make your love abound more and more and more. And agape love has to move from here to here to here, because agape love has to be put in action. It's a choice. It's a decision of the will. I'm going to love you. So it's, it's, it's again, this, it's this, to here, to here. If it never comes out here, then it's not really love. Your love has to take on action. It has to have hands and feet, so to speak. Because if your agape love takes no action then it's not agape love. It's just human love. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then you know the, what the lawyers did. They said, well, I want to qualify and, and, and specify who's my neighbor, the people I like or the people that are... And Jesus said, this parable about a Samaritan who was left for dead on the side of the road. And basically Jesus says, anyone that has a need in your life is your neighbor. Agape love touches anyone in your life that needs to be touched. Anybody you come across that needs help, that's the hands and feet of agape. You know, Jesus told us we must love our enemies, and when I was little, I was like, you mean I have to be warm and fuzzy towards the people that scratched my car? I have to be warm and fuzzy to the person that just cut me off? I have to be warm and fuzzy to the, to the gossip that's going on down in the office. I have to be warm. No, he's not asking you to be warm and fuzzy. That kind of warm and fuzzy love is a human love. He says you need to have love for them. Some, do something for them. Meet their need, whatever the need might be. It may be emotional. It may be physical. It may be spiritual. It may be economic. You have to choose to love. And that includes not joining in or approving uh, a sinful action or, or, or an enemy, but by doing right for them. So sometimes you have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. The, mace, the, the most loving thing that you can do is maybe have a confrontation, right? So that the relationship can be reconciled. 
But so many times we get in fights, we have problems in our relationships, and then we're at Walmart and we're driving down the we're pushing our cart. We're not driving. We're pushing our cart down the aisle and Lo and behold, this person that you can't stand and they can't stand you turns the corner and you're staring face to face and you pretend that everything's okay. That's not a reconciled relationship, is it? Agape love would say, hey, we need to talk. Let me buy you coffee and let's clear the air on this. Because that, now, that may not end in reconciliation, but you were explain, uh, demonstrating agape love. Lord, I see their love abounding, and it brings me joy, Paul writes. May it flow like a mighty waterfall. But then go back to the text. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Ah, here's a comma. I don't know how it says. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says this, with knowledge and all discernment. Your love has to have knowledge and discernment. What does that mean? You remember the Beatles? They, there's a, it was a group that was a few years ago. Some of you probably have never heard of the Beatles. But they sang a song, all you need is what? Love. If they were talking about agape love, they still would have only been half right. Because your love needs truth to guide it. Did you know that? Your love, according to this text, your love needs knowledge and discernment. That's truth. Your supernatural love must be guided by the supernatural word of God. It says, with knowledge and discernment. Paul is not saying, hey, you can do anything in the name of love. Because that becomes an excuse for all sorts of wickedness. That's how we got the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Pornography, sexual deviancy, Fifty Shades of Grey, homosexuality, adultery, promiscuity, sleeping around, one-night stands, living together, shacking up, hooking up, multiple partners, all done in the name of love. How about this past week? The state of New York, in the name of love for women, said, if you're pregnant, you can kill your baby up to the moment of birth. Oh, man, that that just wrenched my stomach. And they know doctors aren't going to do it, so now non-medical people can perform abortions in the state of New York. You can be a mom. You can be in the process of giving birth, and you can still say, I don't want this child. Kill it. You know the story of Planned Parenthood, started by Margaret Sanger, who was a racist, hated black people. She did an experiment down in the South where she... she, um, sterilized black people because she bought into Darwinism. She bought into evolution. She bought into it all and said, oh, that's an inferior people. We need to get rid of them. Do you know there are more black children murdered in New York through abortion than there are live births of black people? Doesn't that make you sick? So you can have love. There are churches that have gone liberal all in the name of what? Love. If you don't have love guided by the Word of God, you will get off track, won't you? Say amen. You will get off track.
Other things that are done in the name of love of a non-sexual nature, permissive parenting, sparing the rod not, and spoiling the child, enabling dysfunctional behavior, enabling uh, in a marriage where you know that there's dysfunctional behavior and you become the enabler, to, rel- to moral relativism. If you love me, then you won't offend me. That's not love. That's not agape love. That's politically correct love. See, to say God is love is one thing, but to say love is God, whoo, that's completely different. Same words, God is love. That's scriptural, that's biblical. But to say love is God, we're going to do everything in the name of love. Oh man, you'll get in trouble quick because you suddenly have an anything goes mentality. And that's not agape love. That is not with knowledge and all discernment. Let me say it this way. If you have God in your heart, catch this. If you have God in your heart, you will have love in your heart. This agape love, the supernatural heavenly love. If you have God in your heart, if you do not have God in your heart, if you have the devil in your heart, you're going to have hate in your heart. Jesus was talking to some Pharisees who were just railing on him. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. But he says, but you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Later on, John would write these words, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So you need both God's love and God's word. Knowledge and discernment comes from the word. That's what controls your love. That's what drives your love. That's what guides your love. And the more of the word of God you get in your heart, the more knowledge and wisdom and discernment you have to then practice loving people. The greater the fruit of your love. You'll know the best way to love a person in any and all circumstances, whether it is your enemy or a, call, call it a crusty coworker. Do you have crusty coworkers? Love has a million expressions when guided by the Word of God. So you might have to have a come to Jesus meeting when someone you love is running from God, running into sin. The most loving response that you could do to confront them in love and not be politically correct and not be afraid of offending them. Why? Because your expression of love is controlled by purity and holiness, which is defined in Scripture by knowledge and discernment. So, that was a big, that's a big foundation. Guys, you've got to have love. If you want to grow as a Christian, you want to become mature as a Christian, you want to continue on as a Christian and grow and your faith grow, you have to have this agape love in your heart. But go back to the text because he goes on. And he says this, so that. So, this is foundational, this love. And then he builds on that and he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. We'll stop there. Here's the second fill in the blank. A life that has a foundation of God's love, growing in maturity is what he's talking about, so that you may approve what is excellent. When the love of God is flowing through you naturally, automatically, 
You will want to do what is right and best and good and beautiful and excellent. You don't want to do shoddy work. John, do you want to do shoddy work? You don't want to do shoddy work. Who wants to do shoddy work? But a lot of times we want to do the minimum. But if you have love in your heart, you want to to do the best. Be able to say that which is best. It's like love is a rocket fuel that pushes you to go far beyond so that you can approve what is excellent. See, love helps you recognize what is truly beautiful. Charles and Stella, I'm going to pick on you for a second, okay? How long have you been married? I love it. They're having to talk to each other to figure it out. How long have you been married? 68 years. Do we say that's beautiful? That's beautiful. That's excellent, yeah. That is excellent. You know, a person with no love doesn't think that's beautiful. A person with no love in their heart, no agape love, doesn't see that that's excellent. They would not approve it. What do we do when we applaud? We're approving it, right? That's what we're doing. We're approving it. Because love does what? So that you may approve what is excellent, what is good, what is fine, what is righteous, what is best. This God love is controlled by the deep knowledge of the Word that allows us Christians to be completely discerning and full of wisdom. And that leads us to that which is beautiful, lovely, and excellent. We celebrate a beautiful marriage and lift it up and hardly approve it. Approve means you've looked at it. You see that it is good and pure. It, it's, a, it's like a bridge with rotten timbers. Now, we don't have that many bridges here, but Tammy and I, we're from Missouri, at least for nine years in Missouri, and there are a lot of bridges there. And when the rotten, when the wood is rotten and the timbers are rotten, they'll put a little sign on it that says safe. Don't, this is true. That means they're going to get around to fixing it. I, I, that was in, in Lamar where we were at. We had a few bridges and it said safe even though we knew there were rotten timbers. But they said that we're going to get to it. You would not approve of a bridge... They had rotten timbers. (laughs) But in order to satisfy the public's cry, they said, safe, but we're working on it. But it wasn't really safe because they had rotten timbers. So let, let me backtrack just a little. People with the love of God in their hearts like and approve, catch this, TV, movies, songs, books, plays, laws, YouTube videos, tweets, Instagram, photography, cultural shifts that are in line with biblical values. We applaud them. We approve them. We say, yes, yes, goodness is happening. And then the TV and the movies, the songs and the books and the plays and the laws and the YouTube videos and the tweets and the Instagrams, and the photography, and the cultural ships that are depraved, or dirty, or opposed to the Word of God stand out like a sore thumb. And guess what we do? According to this, we disapprove them. That's not excellent. Only the things of God are excellent. The things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of a depraved mind is not good. This agape love 
This God love makes his values overwhelmingly beautiful that we pursue and approve those things. That's why we clap for you, Charles and Stella. I'm gonna, I didn't ask Lawrence, I'm going to get in trouble, but maybe I'll get in trouble later and he'll just yell at me. That's okay. He loves me. Lawrence had to take his little boy and move to Texas to raise that child and move in with your brother and start a job and a start a life because of that previous marriage that was just so nasty and bad. And that was a beautiful thing that you did. You rescued Lawrence, and it was hard, wasn't it? How many jobs did you have to work to put food on the table? How hard was it to know that you were rejected, abandoned, and, and, and turned your back on by the spouse because she could not give up what she was attracted to? And yet you chose the loving thing to do. I'm going to save this child. God blessed you with a beautiful wife. Amen? And we say, yes. See, when you do the righteous things in your life, it is this verse, that you may approve what is excellent. When you approve in the things that are rock solid based on the Word, you live a life with conviction. You live a life of integrity. The plumb line of your heart is straight and true and not crooked because it lines up with truth. Go back to the text. And it is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's the next fill in the blank. A life that has a foundation of God's love, growing in maturity, living with integrity, approving the things that are excellent. Genuine, nothing false, not wearing masks, not being a poser, bringing your life out of the shadows and into the sunlight, into the real honesty. Not perfect, but blameless. You know what the word blameless means here? It doesn't mean perfect. We're not perfect. Blameless means you don't lead somebody else into sin. You don't cause another person to stumble. You don't go, I don't go to Pat and say, Pat, let me tell you about George. I got some juicy gossip. Because what I've done is I'm causing him to stumble. I'm no longer blameless. Blameless means that I don't go around entrapping you to live outside of righteousness. That means that you live with conviction that you live with integrity. Not perfect, but blameless. <laughs> I guess I have to apply that to myself so when I cut people off in traffic, I'm not being very blameless, am I? I'm causing other people to stumble by using choice words. You know, I need to be better at my driving. You know, I'm not, I, I, so I'm convicted here. So what does it mean? So let's go back to the text. To be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, that's Jesus' return, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So here's the next fill in the blank. 
A life, spiritual formation, you want to grow as a Christian, it has to be a life that has a foundation of God's love. You're growing in maturity, approving what is excellent and what is trash, being able to have discernment to know, oh, that's God-godly, oh, that's godly, that's ugly, that's beautiful. Living with integrity and filled, your life becomes filled with righteous acts. That's what he says. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So his prayer of a life of love, a life of maturity, a life of integrity, and a life filled with righteous acts. That's spiritual formation. That's how to grow as a Christian. And they all build on top of one another. I know I'm running out of time. Let's finish this whole passage. Beginning at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, all to the glory and praise of God. That's the last fill in the blank. It glorifies God. A life that has a foundation of God's love growing in maturity, living with integrity, filled with righteous acts that glorifies God. You want to know how to grow as a Christian? Right here, baby. It is right here. But it has to start with the supernatural love. This love that cannot be explained because it's not from the earth. We are to love. And that love takes all shapes and forms on how it comes out in your life to be the most loving person in the world. Do you know what the Scripture says? In the end times, people will become selfish and they will become lovers of self and their love will grow cold. Do you think that we're living there? That people get so easily offended and yell and filled with hate and filled with racism, filled with all sorts of mean things because politically correct they don't agree with you uh, you know it just baffles me to see how fast our world has changed in the last 20 years I know you're shaking your heads I know you're, you're right there with me so how do we survive how do we grow past this here it is as the world's love becomes colder and more callous your love has to increase God has to give you that supernatural love so that you can love the unlovely because that's what will win the heart of the world. Let me pray. Father.